Loretta's pulls pulls away, and I was like, "Good for you, Loretta." Although I was cheering for this to happen, I was like, "Good for you, morals." And then she goes, <laughs> "Wait a minute," and I was like, "Here we go." And then she kisses Ronnie back. No morals. <laughs> What's poppin' y'all? Welcome to Post Finale. I am your host, Ankit Madeira. I'm an actor and a musician who hasn't seen a lot of films, so to keep my friends happy and potentially provide a new perspective on some popular films, I am on a quest to change that. I am not on this quest alone, however, once again this week I am joined by a multi-hyphenated artist, Bobby Hedgling-Taylor. Some of the things that he's done is stand-up comedy, being an aerialist, an author, an actor amazing amazing things bobby welcome back how are you doing this week i'm doing great thanks for having me again uh you of know i to talk about one of my favorite movies so yeah <laughs> definitely i mean it wasn't hard to convince you to do it you were like i get to talk about a movie yay <laughs> so yeah. well like i was saying to you and, and some of our pre-chats i mean it's like being on a podcast is interesting because we share community like you, you're, you're now, once this airs, it will be part of my community and vice versa. And, you know, people on your side will learn more about someone that they didn't know. And people on my side will learn something about. And, and what's interesting is, is I'm in the, I'm in the arts as well. So everybody loves movies. Everybody loves theater. So the minute I post this, people are going to, and, and I, I posted pictures last night. Cause I, like I said to you, I couldn't sleep. So I watched the movie again right. and I posted <laughs> pictures on my Facebook page and it, it was like all the chats you know like and all the the you know like i, I got uh, I, I won't give it away but one of the famous lines somebody messaged me with and of course okay. you know, it like, so it's very much a pop culture phenomenon from the 80s that i'm happy to introduce to a new generation if they've never seen it so yeah and it's something that it's not just something that i hadn't seen like everything else that i've seen for this show so far other than the Barbie Fairytopia movies that as we're recording this that's currently coming out but that was a bit of a fun little time for any listeners out there we just did that which was a good time but it was even that was like culturally it was relevant for people around my age that we watched as kids I just never watched them but right. like apparently a lot of people that I grew up with, because even when I posted about it, they were like, oh, you're going to love this character. And I'm like, how do so many people know about this? Right. And it's beautiful. Because it's just... collective unconscious on, and, and people, <laughs> you know, like I'm the one of the oldest in my office. So mm-hmm. when I give a quote from a movie or something like that, that I clearly remember, I get the I call it the door of the explorer blink. Because Dora the Explorer is like, we're going looking for penguins. Blink, <laughs> blink, blink. Bueno! You know, so, so it takes a little minute for them to register that I just made a movie reference. <laughs> no, I feel that I feel that now, even with just like Mulan was a really, really big one with mm-hmm. quotes that my friends and I would quote a lot, especially Mushu's lines, and his most famous one, in our opinion, is dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow. Like, <laughs> and it's like, but I'll say that to like a group of kids that I'm helping with something or like at a birthday party where I'm entertaining or whatever, doing different jobs, and they'll just look at me with 
the Dora Explorer Rise, and I'm like, oh my god, like you haven't seen the animated movies that I no, grew up not with. at all, no, like, <laughs> oh, and and you know that's another one that has a lot of subtlety to it. Like Eddie Murphy is a genius, and I, he's one of the most underrated actors and comedians in Hollywood today. And I, because. You know, I mean, people people always write him off like, oh, the nutty professor. Oh, that's all costume. No, he went in on each of those characters and gave them a external life, like gave them a 24 hour life when he was in that. Yeah, he's in a fat suit. Yeah, funny. But when he was in them, he's his mind is in that improv mind. And what would these characters say when and how? And if you go, if you watch the bloopers from The Nutty Professor, um, there are some hysterical moments that he brought to that. And, but in that, in Mulan, a lot of those were improv. So a lot of those lines were improv. And when you're doing voiceovers um, for, for animation, you get you get a picture that's it you don't see the you they don't have the animation done yet so you just see what the character looks like and you as a voiceover artist have to create that and you know and that was one of the things that i like like i was saying like there are so many quotes in that in milan it's like robin williams as well like whenever you see a robin williams film i would say 50 percent of the comedic lines that are in his films are improv because he was a genius at that that moment that, that that when you're in the moment and you can not and you you have to think of something on your feet and um did you see the live anime the live uh version uh what do you call it uh live action version of mulan no it did not it came out during the pandemic it's very it came out during the pandemic i didn't have disney plus when it came out and then i yeah. heard terrible things about it and honestly i wasn't thrilled about watching it because they got rid of mushu who was my favorite it, character it was, it was exactly that it's like they tried to turn it into les mis you know and, okay. and then there was this other fantastic fantasy proportion to it that just didn't work it's like they didn't pay attention to the source material the source material is genius yeah and it's a beautiful film it's it has a great message you know and there is some historical fact to milan as well there was actually like it's based on a person so there so like there was they they missed all of that they like just and they went on this weird rampage so anyway but that's that's anyway. life that's life in the yeah theater. i mean that's one thing i think the movies that have source material like if it's a new film new story completely by all means go do that but i think the films that end up being iconic if they're based on source material are the ones that actually listen to the source material right quite simple listen to your source material and then you can expound on it because sure sometimes the source material has to be changed slightly for hollywood or you know you can't film something the way that you can describe it necessarily all the time because budget and different things like that sure yeah and so like i get that but yeah if you follow the source material as close as you can i think those movies tend to be more well received by the general public yeah i mean it's almost like uh the i didn't see it yet but i I do have disney plus so i'm looking forward to seeing little mermaid I've only seen clips of it, and the two clips that I did see were absolutely brilliant. I mean, they were 
beautiful. Like they were beautifully filmed. The animation was, you know, the, 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 the half animation was great and, or whatever they're calling it these days. But it's, you know, it got all, all this uproar because of the race of the changing the race of the Little Mermaid or, you know, like the, the, the removing certain things from the songs that were not PC today. And I'm curious to see that because, you know, when Little Mermaid came out, it was what, like 1989 or something like that. So it was just like, I think so. Yeah, it was it was way back in the day. And when that happened, when that came out, that it was such a huge impact on on my generation too. You know, but but not only my gen my generation's kids were the first ones to see Little Mermaid when they were little. So that it, it's it transcends time. So when you change that, then it's like, what are you saying to? What are you saying about the source material? And again, it 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 comes with society. It's like any other films. We wouldn't, we 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 would still have blackface in film if it wasn't for people standing up for what you know what that goes against. And again, it's like I'm not saying that that I'm not comparing the two, but um, the idea that you have to change the source material for the current population as as long as you're still telling the same story and you're not manipulating the story you know it, it's sort of like a couple of years ago this is one of my one of my is everybody was up in arms about the christmas song it's baby it's cold outside yeah so, oh the lyrics are rapey they're this they're that and what was the most popular number one song in the united states at that time let I don't me know. guess baby it's cold outside no wet ass Pussy. Oh, yes. That was number too. one. Yeah. At the same time that people were up in arms about Baby It's Cold Outside. Now, I don't condone either side of those lyrics, you know, but I, it just goes to show you it's sort of like, well, wh who are we going to offend today? You know, it's like Mulan, you know, <laughs> you know like Mushu, you know, like so, so in the same breath, it's like, Sometimes you have to just go with your gut and put out the art and just be done with it. And if it offends people, it offends people. I mean, also, you know, you do have to be careful about what you put out. The last thing you need is for something to be crushed so hard that, you know, no one sees it, you know, but it, it is, it is a balancing act. And I, yeah. but I'm very curious to see what did, what they did with the live action uh, Little Mermaid. Yeah. Well, what were we in this beautiful film Moonstruck? Ah, so pretty much where we were we had just met ronnie and ronnie's a nice breath of fresh air as i was saying at the end of last episode i really like him because he's so different to anybody that we've seen in this film so far so the next scene we learn cosmo is a plumber that's how he's made all of his money the plumbing industry he's in a home pretty much nothing works and he gives them a quote of ten thousand eight hundred dollars and he explains that there are three types of pipes you have your pipes, which are garbage, which you can see what that's gotten you. Garbage. <laughs> you have bronze, which is pretty good. Unless something goes wrong, and then something always goes wrong. And then you have copper, which are the only pipes he uses. It costs money because it saves money. And I gotta say, like, he's just a very good salesman. Yeah, and that's very, very typical, you know, yeah. of, of that generation. And, you know, they were trained by their parents as well you know his father may have you know he's, his father was probably a plumber so probably you know, he probably heard he probably heard that pitch in italian in sicily <laughs> you know and, <laughs> so, 
<clears throat> yeah, like that was the norm. You went into business, you took the business over from your parents. So Yeah. And I mean the husband's on board. He's like, All right, we should probably follow the advice. And fair enough. So Cosmo's telling all of this. He's retelling this story. Like I'm telling it to you, but um he's he's telling it to a woman who isn't Rose. And my first question was, is this the same woman from the liquor store? Because <laughs> she looked almost the same. Is it the same character? No. No. no it's, okay. Uh, Mona is definitely not. And I actually worked with uh, uh, Anita Gillette last, uh, last spring, the woman who plays Mona. And oh, okay. She is, a, she is a sweetheart, a brilliant, brilliant performer. Um, but I, I, now that I've seen the movie so many times, I'm looking for, I'm, I'm working with her again this fall. So I'm looking forward to like actually sitting down and talking, like ha w uh, talking about Moonstruck at that time period. So, yeah, I mean, let me know how that yeah, is sure. because I would love to learn what it was like to work on that set or anything, like any stories that she shares. Of course. And, and like... that's, uh, you know, and she's a, you know, she was huge on Broadway that she's, mm -hmm. Like, if you look at the cast list, like, everybody's got cuckoo Broadway credits, film credits, and um, there's, like, not a bad apple in the in the bunch. Like, they're all just well-seasoned, so. Yeah. Yeah, Ronnie, Ronnie is a breath of fresh air. He comes in. You have no idea what to expect. He has this very explosive personality. Changes the whole dynamic. But one thing you realize is that Italians, we talk a lot. We talk with our hands. <laughs> and... We and when we want to express ourselves, we can be very loud and dramatic. And then when we want to express ourselves in a humorous way, we can very be very loud and funny. So it's just it's it's part of the nature, you know. There's like a Family Guy thing where they were, you know, like if you go to if you watch Family Guy, they always make fun of the the, the Italian neighbor, you know. Hey, what's the matter, you? You know, hey, hey, hey. what's up with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the matter, you? You wake up with the baby, you know that kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I do know that Family Guy does that. I don't watch a lot of Family Guy. I watch clips here and there, but I just, it was a show that I never really got into all that much. But cool. Again, cultural and also generational. It's just, if, if it's not, any, if it doesn't come into your ether, it's hard. Like, I, yeah. I was on the road all, I was on the road when The Simpsons became popular. So I never had a TV. Because I was always going from town to town and I was either in a, you know, in the, in the cast, whatever, whatever the, uh, the, 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 the transportation was. And most of the time we were in, uh, living campers when I was with the circus. So those kind of touring years, I missed, I missed that Simpsons generation. Now I'm sort of catching up on it and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I just didn't get it. And it was just, and then once I moved back to New York, I started watching more TV and I saw, you know, things like Family Guy, South Park, all of those, like those, those car adult cartoons that comment on pop culture. Are, yeah. yeah. I mean, for me and like my friends, a lot of them have seen South Park, The Simpsons and Family Guy. At least one of them, if not, usually I tend to find it's more Family Guy and South Park with people around my age. Mm -hmm. And less so The Simpsons, but the big one that I missed out on was SpongeBob, because yeah. SpongeBob came out on Nickelodeon, and I never grew up with Nickelodeon, and so I, even to this day, haven't really watched SpongeBob. Maybe a couple of 
episodes here and there and like i watched the first movie that came out but i never even went and saw that second one like i just it's something that just culturally just because it was never accessible to me no just never watched it i've watched other nickelodeon things i've just never watched spongebob yeah no same here i i i'm never a spongebob fan i just never caught on to that you know and it's funny though when i do watch it periodically you know if i'm bored or something like that and it's on um, I will catch that there are a lot of, again, it's very creative writing. So even if you have, even if you've just gotten into this one moment with Sponge, it's, it's very, he's very naive as a character and the way that it's written with the, is, is very, it's, it's very well crafted, but I just like, eh, you know, I'd need to watch. It's like the same thing. It's like something that I, uh, that I, I would have to watch. It's like Star Trek. I've never I never liked Star Trek, and um, but I've I would want to watch from the very beginning through all of the seasons just to catch up with the Trekkies that are out there who are you know can quote like season twelve of you know episode twelve yeah. of season two of the Voyager and you know and Spock had an aneurysm and he was you know and I'm like what the fuck I don't know. You know, I don't. So I don't My know mom described Star Trek to me in a very beautiful way when we tried to watch it one summer. We got bored about four episodes in, and she put it very simply. She was just like, "I don't get it." At least Star Wars, there's like a whole storyline and everything. This one, you know the story. They're on a spaceship. They meet some aliens. They think the aliens are nice. They end up not being nice. End of the episode. Like, everyone is just rinse and repeat. So she would just get bored of it. And so we just never continue watching Star Trek. That is absolutely 100% true. And that's the way I look at it. I was like, oh, aliens. Oh, yeah, that one's nice. Oh, no, he's not. Oh yeah, and, and now they kill them. Oh, or, or now are they they shoot? You know, so it's like, oh, okay, this that old that old story. Right. But anyway, back back to Moonstruck. Back to Moonstruck. <laughs> We're doing great. We're doing great. So, this woman says that Cosmo knows everything, and Cosmo brought her a present, which is a charm bracelet, which has little birds and stars because birds fly to the stars. Beautiful sentiment. I have two issues with this. One, if birds fly to the stars, they will burn. <laughs> but beautiful sentiment. I'll give them the sentiment. Just scientifically, they can't do that. And two, they're not doing a very good job on keeping this affair, you know, quiet. Yeah. Like, is Cosmo just not worried at all? He's like, I have so much money, I can do whatever I want. Is that like his mind? Like, I don't. I like Rose and I don't think she deserves unhappiness because she seems like a lovely person. I liked Cosmo too. He was funny and quirky until he suddenly just like not even trying to keep this quiet. Well, it's, it's hard because like, you don't, you know, that we're, we're, we're jumping ahead. There are, are moments where it makes sense. It does make a bit more sense. We'll get to it. But at this moment, I was like, what is he doing? Like, what's his end plan? I had no idea what his end goal was. And he's someone that I was like, I have to keep my eye on and like try to make sure that I know what's going on with Cosmo because he's not trying to keep this affair quiet, it seems. And he's still married to Rose. So I'm very intrigued on how his storyline will wrap up. So 
we cut back, we see a large poster of La Bohème, and I'm like, it's the opera again, we have to be going to the opera, there is zero way around avoiding the opera, it's been hinted at too many times, we're going to the opera at some point in the movie, I've been wrong on when we're going, but we're going, and I know that we're going. Mm. So, Loretta says that she's making Ronnie a steak, he doesn't want it, <laughs> Loretta doesn't want to hear it, she's like, you'll eat it. He likes them well done, he's gonna eat this one bloody, because... To, it's gonna feed your blood. <laughs> Is that how it works? You know, who knew about nutrition back then? I mean, literally, <laughs> we, you know, literally, we didn't know about nutrition or anything like that. You know, you, you were taught these catchphrases, you know, to, to buy milk, even though milk, cow's milk is probably one of the worst things you can feed yourself or your children. It could, you know, whether or not, it, I mean, there is, there is some fact to it. There is iron in steak and iron feeds your blood. It helps your blood. You know, it does help your blood. But there's also, you know, a ton of other things. But at this moment in time, it, it was a catchphrase. And it was like, it was a catchphrase that was sort of like, you know, milk does a body good. You know, like you can, you can go back and think and hear those commercials for, you know, like, uh, you know, all of, all, there were, there were like, little jingles that they would write to get you to buy milk and steak you know so it's like they're th that that's all that was it was just a catchphrase you know and, and 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 again somebody taught her that so it's not like she has any scientific fact she's just sure. you know and that's all people did they didn't they didn't have google or the internet so you learned from other people and you learned what you saw on tv so. no fair enough i just never heard that catchphrase or even if i did i never like picked it up because i haven't been watching something this closely yeah when i've heard it and so i was like i don't fully understand how nutrition works now but i'm pretty sure that eating blood isn't gonna strengthen your blood <laughs> again it sometimes it's just a line in the movie to move the plot she's that's just, fair you know she's just showing that she's you know, she's assertive that she's that, oh, Ronnie's going to do know. what she says. Right. Exactly. And that's the difference, you know, and so it's it's it's, you know, the difference between the two brothers also at this moment, you know, because you, you only met Johnny mm -hmm. early on and then he left for Sicily. Yeah, he's not he's not home right now. No. And honestly, we don't have that much information on Johnny other than he seems like a pushover. And a lap dog. Exactly. Yep. But he's nice. Right. But the, the, again, the difference in the two is, is, is very, you know, night and day, very much like me and my brother. <laughs> but I don't know which one I am. I'm a wolf with no paw <laughs> or a bride with no head. I don't know. So it's, it does, it does like show you the contrast there, but still it's, you know, she, they're just talking about like, she wants they aren't even that. talking. She just went into the kitchen and said, I'm making you a steak. Right, right. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, they haven't even started to speak about anything. They're about to speak, but they haven't right. started to speak about anything. It was just solely, where do you live? I live upstairs. Great. Next thing we see is she's making him a steak in the kitchen. Right. <laughs> so... But I think she says, can we go upstairs and talk? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so the idea is... Okay, calm the fuck down. We're going to go upstairs and talk this over because her intention at that moment is I need 
to help my fiance heal this relationship. But that's exactly. not what happened. <laughs> yeah, that's not what happened. So Ronnie eats, says that it's good. And we learn from Loretta that Johnny met Loretta because he knew her husband who was hit by a bus and it was an instantaneous death. At least it was a quick and painless death for the poor bloke getting hit by a bus. I'm glad they didn't drag that out. Just a small little tidbit there. And Loretta calls him stupid because five years ago, Ronnie cut off his hand and the woman left and no girl since then. And we find out that this husband was hit by a bus seven years ago. And since then, just Johnny. So Ronnie calls her stupid. Great. He's not wrong. If that's her reasoning for calling him stupid, that he has valid reasoning as well. Uh, totally agree. Um, but also like... Oh, it's problematic. But... Oh, yeah. But, no, but I mean, but like, okay. Uh, your husband get hit by, gets hit by a bus, so you, you, you start dating his best friend. You know what I mean? It's like that... That right there. Oh, I didn't even think that they were best friends. I thought that they were just acquaintances. Were they best friends? I, I, they say they hint about it. And she hints about it, but I can't remember exactly. It's, she met. I, I don't remember the line, but it was like they were definitely friends. So that's the other thing. Like, mm. you know, how does that? How? How? Where? That's you know. There's there's a weird part of Loretta at this moment that is still living in the past and through Johnny. But then here comes this guy, Ronnie, and she really, you know, she she's starting to see different different sides of men because she's actually putting herself in a situation where she's forced to look at Ronnie. Yeah, like there is no option for her to leave because for her, she's still on this mission that she has to help her fiance. Right. Mend this relationship. So she is there for a purpose. But yeah, I missed that I knew that they knew each other, Johnny and the old husband, because he's never given a name. Poor guy. No. <laughs> it's poor, not poor guy. He's not relevant yeah. anymore, you know. Nah, he's not relevant. He got hit by a bus and died instantaneously. He's dead. Yeah. We don't have to worry about him. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they, they filmed that <laughs> section and it just didn't make it. It's on the cutting room floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they definitely filmed that section. So, <laughs> I think... It is interesting, though, to see how it changes, because now that you bring that up, it's, you know, this is, I guess, kind of the first male suitor that she's potentially been alone in a room with, mm -hmm. other than Johnny. And he's right. not related to her old husband in any way, shape, or form. Right. And so, yeah, it is very interesting of seeing her open the one thing i will say about italian women there is a loyalty and a loyalty to you know especially my grandmother my grandmother and my mother when that when my father when my grandfather died my grandmother never dated again never dated never saw another man you know she mourned my grandfather until the day she died my mother same thing my father died in the early 90s. Mom never dated. I mean, although she hinted about, you know, having, you know, like a, a friend here and there, but there was never anything romantic. She was very, very much her boundaries. And it was just like, oh, that's it. He's gone. I'm, I'm you know, but it's very much an Italian thing that, you know, you, you honor the loss by not, by not replacing it with anybody else. The difference is Loretta 
like I said, there's that connection with her ex, her, her, her dead husband. So in a way she was honoring that. And that's what to say, like, what I love about this film is it changes all the landscape of, of the modern Italians and Amer Italian Americans. Like it takes tradition and throws it out the window. Oh, so. Well, let's find out how we're chucking tradition yes, out of window. Exactly. <laughs> so Ronnie doesn't care about luck, and that has nothing to do with anything. And Loretta asks him what's wrong with him. Do you think you're the only one to ever shed a tear? And Ronnie asks why she's still talking to him, and Loretta just says, give me a glass of whiskey. Oh boy, things are going to get spicy soon. <laughs> <laughs> Legitimately in my notes, I go, things are going to get spicy. <laughs> so. Cosmo's dropping off the uh, uh, other woman whose name I Mona. still don't know. What's her name Mona. in the film? Mona. Mona. Great. He's dropping off Mona. Says he'll call her later. I have a feeling we're not going to see that phone call, but I'm very intrigued on what that phone call is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like a solid three second scene of them dropping each other, like Cosmo dropping off Mona. And then right. we're and the bracelet. <laughs> oh, and the bracelet. He had a little shake of the bracelet of like, hey, yeah. look at this. Like, don't worry, I'm wearing it. And <laughs> we're back with Ronnie and Loretta. They're drinking. So <laughs> Ronnie says that she knows nothing about an anything. And Loretta reveals that she was raised in a way where girls get married young. And that's the question that I had for you. Was that something that was very common, is very common still today? Like... I don't think it's so common today because I think, like I said, tradition you has know, changed. Has changed, and people have changed. Families have changed. Um, my mother got married at thirty-four, so she was one. Of, she was the latest to get married. Like my my aunt Betty was married at sixteen. My aunt my aunt Elsie was married at eighteen, and my mom, you know, dated but didn't get married to my father until she was thirty-four. So it's like. And then, you know, like there was, so there's a big gap there. And that's why I think like, you know, I talk, I talked about my mom before, but my mom was very much a generational change, you know, game changer. Like she, she was one of these people who pushed away the stuff that didn't work anymore. Like, you know, in the, in my, in my book, I talk about my mom going to church and they were, then the, the minister was preaching about the Immaculate Conception. To which my mother screamed out, bullshit, Mary got fucked. <laughs> <laughs> and immaculate conception, bullshit. So, you know, you don't do that in, in the, in the how, how, how did that go? Um... <laughs> I just grabbed the wheelchair and I was like, mom, let's go sit in your, and let's go sit in your, uh, in your room. It's all good. You know, <laughs> your so this was when she was in the nursing home, but it was, but it was sure. very much like when, when, uh, you know, her, her, um, her rejecting religion was uh, probably when I was like 11 or 12, we left the Catholic church and it was very much, it wasn't dramatic or anything like that. She had just had a realization that she thought it was all bullshit. And she told us that. And, you know, I stayed in the church for another couple of years with, because my grandmother was very devout. Um, but then I was like, yeah, my mom was right. And so I sort of eased out of it. Um, but, you know, that kind of uh, thing, like my great grandmother was 15 when she got married 
And um, that was at the t turn of the century. That was, you know, it's, I actually still have their, I have their wedding picture. Um, and it's, it's, it's amazing to see because it's very much that, um, uh, what do you call it? It's, it's very much the, uh, the typical turn of the century picture that you've ever, you've seen all over the place. And let me see where to go. It speaks volumes just having this picture. And ah, here we go. So this is this is Grandma Elsie, Great Grandma Elsie in the middle, Great Grandpa Frank to her. Uh, I guess it's if it's reversed on the screen. Great Grandpa Frank is over here. That's Great Grandpa Frank. Okay. And those are her three sisters, and mm -hmm. uh, and her brother. So that's the, and that's nineteen. They got married nineteen fifteen. Okay. So. So yeah, she was 15 years old. So, but yeah, it is, it, you know, it's a cultural thing too. You get married, you know, like, but not anymore. Not, you know, but, but who knows where, who knows what that family history was? You know, they don't tell us, but I'm assuming they're first generation Italian in New, in living in, in New York. Um, so first generation Italian, you're still coming from the old country. So she probably, you know, we're, we're probably talking late seventies, early seventies. She probably would have gotten married early. She probably would have gotten married very young. And funny thing, funny thing, funny fun fact here: during the filming, Cher was forty-one, and yeah. Nicholas Cage was twenty-three. Right. Which we figured that one out last week. <laughs> I know, but it's just like you look at it and like, holy shit! Wow, this is a in the dynamics that you see going going forward the age differences and things like that. Yeah. It is, it is, is going against tradition a lot. And it's so. something because I haven't fully finished the film yet, so I, right. I don't fully know the ending yet. Right. But I have a thought, and I, I'm uh, to the point of where I've seen. I don't know if we'll actually get there in this episode. But mm. to the point in where I've seen, which is where the opera is starting as we're recording this episode, I've seen up until okay. the opera starting. Um, spoiler alerts, we're going to the opera, guys. So, <laughs> but up until then, no one, and I guess no one has met Ronnie yet. So I guess it hasn't been brought up, but I'm fascinated that nobody has talked about the age difference. Mm -mm. And I feel like it's, it has to be brought up. And if not, then like, in a weird way, I feel like it's missing something. If, and Again, I don't know this may be brought up in the last third of the movie and I just haven't gotten to it yet. But I feel like if it's not brought up in the last third of the movie, then it's missing something because as beautiful as Cher is, as mature as Nick Cage is, there is a distinct difference. Like you can tell that they are not around the same age just looking at the two of them standing mm -hmm. next to each other. That's just factual. One of them's in real life almost double the age of the counterpart and so i feel like it just it will be addressed is my gut instinct and i really hope that it's addressed in some way shape or form and i hope that the addression is just it doesn't matter like yeah. i hope well, that the addression is that okay, look at johnny's age johnny yeah. is johnny's around the same age as loretta so exactly so like but so yeah and if there's no one has said what the age gap is between Johnny and his brother or anything yeah. like that. 
And so, but I really hope that the way that it's talked about is, you know, yeah, he's younger, but why does that matter? Is kind of Loretta's standpoint. At least that's what I'm hoping. My point is, is that it is, it it was actual age at that time. Right. I don't know what the ages in the film were. You know what I mean? So, but you could just, I mean, Nicolas Cage was just so young at that time. So, so, you know, you can't. Exactly. Like, that's the thing is, again, in, in movie age, you can say that Nicolas Cage's character is, say, 30, right? right. But I, I would be hard pressed if you're trying to say that he's 38. I'd be sure. like, there. I'd be like, I. That's where it would take me out a bit. Of yeah. like, look, I get Nicolas Cage. I get the attraction of having a good actor, and sure, he may have just been the best person for the role, and you cast him, and I appreciate that. But at the same time, like, there is that little bit of I'm not gonna believe that Nicolas Cage at the age of 23 can play a 38 year old. Or a 40-year-old, yeah, if that's yeah. what you're trying to get me to believe. And you've established to me already that Loretta is 37. Right, right. Because you've told me this information. Right. So and that's, that's where I'm getting yeah. at, is like, I hope that there's some type of reference to it. I'm assuming that the age gap isn't, like, you know, how drastic it I is don't in think, I don't think life, they. But... I don't think they talk about the age gap, honestly. I just, I just well, pointed out as a... As a um, yeah, we'll see. We'll you know? see. Yeah, they haven't talked about it. They haven't talked about it to where I've gotten yet. So we'll find out. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the intermission. I hope you are all enjoying this episode of Post Finale as we're going through Moonstruck, learning all about it. But I hope you're enjoying this episode, and thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If you would like to gain access to bonus content, you can do so. Head over to patreon.com slash postfinale. All types of different bonus content, audio content, notes, different things like that. I try to do about one bonus episode per movie that I do, but there's also some other bonus content like how did this podcast come to be, and different things like that. I am trying to keep up to date on the Patreon, so if any of that sounds of interest to you, be sure to head on over to patreon.com slash postfinale and sign up for any of the tiers, and all of the money made from the Patreon goes directly back into this show to make it a better show for you, the listeners. Secondly, if you still want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, it's greatly, greatly appreciated. Word of mouth is the best way to grow the show. Just reach out to a friend and be like, hey, you like movies, or hey, I know that you don't watch movies all the time, but maybe you would enjoy this, where this actor, the host, he's really nice, he's really humble, he doesn't really know much, but he kind of just guesses and has a good time and goofs off, and it's fun, and it's sporadic, and you might like it. It's the best way to grow the show, and thank you to everyone who has already spoken about the show and talked about it, and to anyone who will do this in the future. Thanks in the future, whenever you do do it. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Be sure to follow us on social media at PostFinalePod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. But I feel like this has been going on for a while, so before any much more of your time is taken let us get back into moonstruck and finding out what's happening next
I honestly want to order the script and find the script online somewhere, you know, because you know, in all my years of being an actor when I was younger, the very first thing that every single acting teacher says is all the information is in the text. So I'd be very curious to see how that how their original the original text translated to this film. There's also exactly. a music, there's a musical version of Moonstruck out there. Ooh. It hasn't come to Broadway yet, but there is a musical version, which I'm very curious to see. Um, it uh, I, I I know it's been in the works for many years because a friend of mine was co-producing it, but that was years ago. So I don't know if it's ever been produced, but it's on the it's on the radar, you know. So Somewhere out there. I'll, I'll do some digging. I'll see if I can find yeah. any information. So pretty much Loretta tells us, back to the movie, because, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so Loretta tells us that she held out for love. She didn't marry young. She ended up getting married at 28. She wanted a baby. Uh, or he wanted a baby right away. She said, let's wait. And then he got hit by a bus. And then she was left with no man, no baby, no nothing. And how did she know? that a man was a gift that she couldn't keep. And it seemed like she really did, like, love this person mm -hmm. that got hit by a bus who was just unnamed. He's the man who got hit by a bus. <laughs> but she does truly love him and misses him. And so Ronnie tells her the story and acts like he knows what it means, but Loretta can see the true story and... Ronnie can't. And what Loretta tells him is that women didn't leave you. You can't see what you are, and I see everything. You're a wolf. And I was like, you're just stealing the line from last night in the liquor store. This is cheating. This is... That wasn't That's an right. original line. You don't get to take that credit. You have That's to go right. give that credit to the lady who runs the liquor store. That's not your line. Yeah. She just stole the line. I mean, it works, but she stole the line. <laughs> you know, you, 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 you learn from your elders. So, you know. <laughs> I do think that it's in this moment where she's calling him a wolf is where, for her, it changes. Of... Because now things are starting to get more heated. And as things are starting to get more heated, th things between them starting to get more heated in terms of, you know, sexual tension. And I think where she calls him a wolf and Cher does a beautiful job of this, that's the moment that it switches for Loretta from what was her original mission of trying to just get him to come to the wedding to now just, oh, I'm attracted to you, you're hot. <laughs> <laughs> there, that is a quick, it is a quick change, but you, you know, they've been drinking, they're arguing, they're talking about, they're getting to know each other, they don't know each other, and then all of a sudden, bam! You know, it's, uh, the, you get the backstory from each of them and, and what, and also like you, you, you immediately learn why, who they, why they become who they are at that moment and that they're both want to change who they are, but right. they don't, they didn't have an avenue to change. So. And I think it's beautiful that both Ronnie has his demons. Loretta has her demons. 
And it's kind of, they're on these two separate paths, just kind of living their life, doing different things. And then I think it's beautiful that, like, hey, like, the way for change, as messed up as it might sound, is getting together with someone that you both have a close relationship with, but ignoring them, throwing them out the window. But you two getting both of your kind of demons you understand each other because of your past. Mm-hmm. And that helps you probably for the future, is my guess. And like that that's the way that I'm looking at it. Is like you'll, it's you'll see. <laughs> yeah, I like the I like the smile and the you'll see. We'll move on. So but that that's what I'm thinking it's of. It's weird because when of... we start picking apart each scene and I go into and because I know you know I know the beginning, the middle, and the end. And you the, know the whole story. Like, it's hard to sometimes say things because you're like i can't give it away right, i don't want to give it away i want people i want you to i want you to experience the the, fin- the finale of the movie because that's when all of this makes sense and i appreciate that so the woman was a trap this is what loretta's telling him the woman was a trap he couldn't get away so he chewed off his own foot and that was the price for freedom And now he knows that a big part of him is the wolf and that the courage to bite off his own hand to save itself from the trap of wrong love. But now he's scared because he's scared to death of what the wolf will do if the if Ronnie makes another mistake again. And that's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah, just gorgeous, lays it all out. Very simple. And. Again, Cher delivers this beautiful... This entire scene between Nicolas Cage and Cher is just beautifully done because you see where they start and we're almost at the end of the scene, but you'll see where we end. And it's a journey that, honestly, there aren't that... It doesn't feel like there are that many cuts, even though there are cuts in just the way that the film is filmed. Sure. But there, there are a good number of cuts, but it doesn't feel like there are any cuts. Which no, is the, pace, the pacing of the scene and the, the ping pong match and, you know, it's very, very much, like I said, all the information is in the text and all the information that they created is what built that tension up from the time she starts making the stake till, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> Ronnie asks, what are you doing? And she's telling him his life. And Ronnie retorts with why marry Johnny? He's a fool. Loretta says, that I have no luck, and Ronnie's mad, and he just says, fuck your luck, this is stupid. And then Johnny made Ronnie look the wrong way to cut off his own hand, not based on the first story that you told us. There was no Johnny said, hey, while my hand was in the slicer or anything, like, nothing like that. Um, Right. You just said you sliced off your hand, so that's kind of on you. You can't go changing the story. It doesn't line up. I'm going through it with a fine-tooth comb. So, and you could look the wrong way, lose your head. And she's looking in a way that she has to, to become a bride. And Johnny just yells, a bride without, or sorry, Ronnie yells, a bride without a head. Loretta claps back with a wolf without a foot. And then Ronnie throws the table to the side. They're both standing at this point, if I didn't make that clear. They've gotten up off of their seats. They're yelling at each other. There's a table in between them. Ronnie just throws it. 
And then he swoops his hair back in a beautiful, elegant motion that if any guy with long hair, if you've ever had long hair, you know the motion. (laughs) For any male or female who has never had long hair, or anyone who just hasn't, just imagine someone, like, pulling their hair back and, like, looking sexy while doing it. Like, there you go. (laughs) That's the gist of what he was doing. And then he just walks straight up to Loretta. He picks her up from the chair, pulls her close, and kisses her. Oh, it's steamy. (laughs) (laughs) Loretta pulls away, and I was like, good for you, Loretta. Although I was cheering for this to happen, I was like, good for you, morals. And then she goes, wait a minute. And I was like, here we go. And then she kisses Ronnie back. No morals. (laughs) (laughs) Just hot, passionate sex. (laughs) No morals. You know, again, goes with the the drama of... of, uh, This is one of those parts of the movie that it, it, it can be farcical. But the stakes are so high, the drama is so high, the, the, the intensity is so high that, you know, a table flip is typical in Italian. <laughs> like, we flip tables all the time. Jesus did it. <laughs> Jesus flipped tables. What are you talking about? We don't care. Everyone um, flips it, tables. That's just common it, knowledge. Hey, it's no, Wednesday. We're flipping yeah. tables. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. it goes back to the... To the thing where you where where you want to change the energy of the room, you don't know how to express yourself. They 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 get so enraged, you know, um, you know, and it's very typical of Italian men, you know, of that so, of that era. Yeah, so, in that but, era, the way to change the room because now it's been brought up like the energy to change the room. Mm-hmm. You brought it up last week where your grandmother would do this, where she would threaten mm-hmm. to kill herself. So in that era, was it more common for women to threaten to kill themselves and men do something crazy like throw a table across a room? It's to it, just change I mean, the energy. Yeah, it's when you can't when you don't have the words to you know like we didn't have access to therapy, so people didn't know how to express themselves in a in a in a non dysfunctional way, you know. So so you as as the 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 male Italian that I grew up with. You know they 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 have to contain they have to contain themselves and but they also have to keep projecting that masculinity and by doing so it's it's the table flip it's the anger it's the it's the the way that they um the way that they address their energy is through anger same way with the with the women that I grew up with the earlier generations you know they you scream you break dishes you know but then you threaten to hurt, harm yourself to stop that behavior. So it's, it's like the t- two, different, um, two different ways of shutting down conversation or shutting down highly in- intense conversation. So those, you know, but again, that was when I was much younger. We're talking, you know, 60s, 70s, late, late, late era, 60s, early 70s, where those were the those were the visuals that I remember of my my uncles and my aunts and my grandparents, my grandmothers. I never I never had a grandfather. They were both gone by the time I was born, um, so I didn't know them. But being around all those Italian men and being around all those older Italian men, that was the way they dealt with shit. Uh, they never really, 
they were never really taught on how to deal with their feelings. You just, you uh, like hit first and ask questions afterwards, you know, kind of things like you flip a table first and, and then, you know, so, so there was these two things going on at that scene. So then bang, they kiss, bang, they're, they're, they, they've stopped the energy of that difficult conversation and holy crap, they're both attracted to each other. Oh yeah. Which I mean, I could tell with just the movie poster, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> they had to get there. So sure. Ronnie picks her up in a little fireman's carry. I think that one's called the fireman's carry. Maybe it's called the cradle. No, fireman is over the shoulder. I think uh, he, he holds her like, you know, where, where someone jumps and their legs are in the person's it's, it's, arms. It's, it's like going across the threshold with a, 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 a it's like the wedding. Like when you're, yeah, when you're, that you're one. Bride. so you're carrying your bride again, symbolism. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, so that's going to happen later in the movie. And then I did appreciate this. He looks at the sky, yells, son of a bitch. And then walks. <laughs> <laughs> Loretta asks, where are you taking me? Ronnie says to the bed. I love how he's just like, straight forward Loretta says she doesn't care take me Ronnie says he can't believe this is happening he was dead Loretta was too Ronnie asks what about Johnny and Loretta says you're mad at him take out your revenge on me and I'm like oh this is getting like steamy steamy <laughs> and I was like oh like we we getting, uh, we getting deep into this um, leave nothing left to marry Johnny leave nothing but the skin over my bones Ronnie agrees to this and then they sleep together and it cuts away. And I'm like, oh boy, that must have been one intense night. <laughs> well, so, I can say is we're Italian, we're dramatic. <laughs> all, all situations are dramatic. Hot steamy sex. There we go. You say what you say in the bedroom. Yeah, this, yeah exactly. This you one know, just I got, mean, happened to be filmed. It just like, it does make you it makes you think like where she made where she made a where she got to that realization like you know take take it out on me you know she's still she's still doing what she thinks she's doing for Johnny you know at this moment but then it's like but she's not really embracing the fact that she's really hot for this guy and that he represents yeah. something that she's something totally different than what she's experienced no and she doesn't like you said she's still thinking that she's marrying johnny <laughs> so naive so <laughs> or at least what i think so naive i don't know she might end up marrying johnny at the end of this movie and i might be sad and heartbroken no but get, go to the next scene because you'll it makes it makes a lot of sense it does so rose says let's eat we're now in a big kitchen and cosmo says what about loretta she must be out and she usually calls, but, you know, there's a lot on her mind. And then the friend brings up marriage. Turns out that the friend is the brother. We learn later that his name is Raymond, so I'm just going to call him Raymond from now. Raymond but, Capomaggio. Yeah, he's, he's lovely. I love Raymond. We'll get more into him probably next week. But, so, I, Raymond is there. He's having a good time. And they bring up the marriage, and... Another friend asks, okay, what is she going to do with her life if she doesn't get married? And I'm like, she could do a lot, but short sign of the times and families. Cultural. So, yeah, cultural. The old man gives food to the dogs who are behind the gate. I just thought that that was cute. 
and I will. Oh never... man, if you give that the dogs another <laughs> plate of my food, I'm gonna kick you till you're dead. He then <laughs> eats the food. <laughs> I did appreciate that line from Rose. Rose is great, and so this is Rose's brother Raymond, and Raymond says that when he was told Cosmo would marry Rose, he was happy. And when he told Rose he was marrying Rita, Rose was happy. And marriage is happy news, right? Apparently not to Cosmo. Because um, his marriage is a sham, at least currently, for him. So Raymond never liked to tell this story. But he had never seen anyone as in love as Cosmo was back in the day with Rose. And he used to stand outside the house all day looking into the windows. And the story that he would never tell is one night he woke up from a bright light in the face, like a flashlight. And he looked out the window and it was the moon. And it was almost as big as the house and it scared him. And he looked down and standing in the street was Cosmo looking at the windows. And Raymond was mad because he thought... He was mad at Cosmo because he thought that Cosmo brought the big moon over to the house because you were so in love and you woke me up with it. And I feel for <laughs> Raymond. He wasn't happily in love at that point. It was annoying. Look, as the single friend, it's annoying sometimes when you hear about everyone's happy love lives. So, yeah. So, <laughs> Cosmo then says, we were all asleep. You were dreaming. And Raymond's adamant, no, you were there. And Cosmo doesn't want to talk about it. Rose asks, what do you want to talk about? And then, just, why are you drinking so much? This is where Rose also yells at the old man, and I laughed. And then everyone just eats in silence. And that's it. That's that whole scene, but it's a very... It doesn't sound like a lot has happened, but there's so much in that one scene. Oh, yeah. It's dripping with subtext. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So, now that we've done the <coughs> overview of it... The first thing right there is you can tell that Cosmo has always been against this marriage to Johnny. Sure. The others know about it. That's understandable. They want to talk about it because to them, this is happy news. They think that Loretta is, you know, moving on. And for them, it's a new thing. Like, you know, I'm sure that they were all very supportive of her after her husband died. I mean, they seem like a very loving family who supports each other and is very close. But I'm also sure that, you know, in some way, shape, or form, culturally, they're like, hey, okay, she's getting married again. Like, you know, she's fulfilling that purpose that in their eyes she is meant to do, which is be a wife. Even in her eyes, what she's meant to do is be a wife. Like, that's what she wants to do. And she tells this flat out to Ronnie in the last scene. So I think, like, in that sense, everyone else is happy. Rose is like, you know what, she's getting married, but like, I don't know if she's thrilled about it because it's Johnny, but she's at least happy for her daughter, who seems to be happy. But Cosmo, I think the big reason, now that it's been revealed that Cosmo is against this marriage, is because he is having an affair. Right, and that makes, that changes everything, because like I said, people, also, if you don't want to talk about something, you take it to your grave. Yeah. Like that is that that again, it was cultural. It was especially the men were very stoic. They were very, you know, if they 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 because no one knew nobody of that generation knew how to deal with their feelings. Nobody went to therapy. 
Nobody had their emotional support dog, you know, nobody had that. <clears throat> and if we did have it, we didn't talk, we, it wasn't, wasn't talked, talked about, it wasn't, wasn't like, oh my God, you have to, you have to talk about your feelings. Clearly he wanted to shut it down. He didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to bring it up because if Rose, if, if it opened up the conversation, Rose very well may know already, you know, so same, 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 same stuff, but he, for some reason, does not like Johnny. So I don't know why he doesn't like Johnny. We and you never know. You may never here's know. Here's my prediction, because we're going to wrap up the episode here in just a few minutes. But I think the reason that Cosmo doesn't like Johnny, I don't know if it'll be revealed, but this is my thought, is that he sees Johnny. Like, he sees himself in Johnny. Mm -hmm. And with seeing himself, he knows what he's doing now, which is having an affair and cheating on Rose. And he doesn't want Loretta to be hurt in the same way in, say, 30 years. Right. When in 30 years' time, Johnny then has an affair. And I think that's the stem of it, is that he sees himself in Johnny, and that's why he's so against the wedding, is because he doesn't want his baby girl to get hurt. Brilliant subtext. You just picked it apart beautifully. And it's like, you know, but that's that's what I'm saying. Just like, as as an actor, those are the things you have to pay attention to in a script to make them make, to make conversation be natural to be able to create natural behavior for the camera or the stage. You have to fuel it. So he's, he's got, you know, Vincent Gardinia was brilliant with the way that he structured. Now, all of the, it's, it's very interesting also, all of them have their interpretation of, of what this family was, but the director masterfully put it all together and pulled it all together because there were so many cultural references. There are so many ways that, you know, that, that the, the director clearly had experienced or did his due diligence and research on Italian families at the time. Cause that's right. really like, that's why I think it's so like this particular film, it's a, it's a slice of Americana, Italian Americana in the 1980s, but it's also a slice of Italian culture. And some of it's farcical in nature, like I said, but in order to play comedy or farce, you have to be so real that it's, you know, like, I remember being in the theater and the audience burst out laughing at so many different moments, but when they had, when they had that passionate moment, the audience cheered. You know what I mean? Because you're sitting there, you're watching this on the big screen, blah, 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 boom, boom. Bride with no head, dog, uh, wolf with no paw, boom, kiss, boom, kiss, take me to the bed. And people started cheering. So it's like, it is cultural. Yeah, what we were talking about in how it has to be embedded right in that truth. But it's also, I think, what and what the director did very well and all the actors is understand all the subtext Mm -hmm. what i'm curious about is how much of the subtext for each individual character did the director actually give to the other actors because this movie i feel like there's so much subtext Mm -hmm. and the majority of it is subtext and with that 
sometimes I feel like it's harmful if I know everything, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And that's that's one of the that's one of the things like when you pick apart a movie, especially when someone like me really loves this movie and I've seen it multiple times, one of my favorite movies of all time, you I have a connection to why you rewatch it. You know, like I can go through the laundry list of the movies that I've rewatched. You know, one is Titanic. One is Hocus Pocus. Um, you know, one is Rocky Horror. One is, you know, and but my all time favorite is definitely Moonstruck. And it is because of the cultural references, the connection to that culture, even though, you know, like I'm my family is part English, part Italian, mostly on my generation. But before that, everybody was Greek and Sicilian or Sicilian. So I have that connection to that culture from the from from growing up in it. And I'm the I was the youngest of the grandchildren. So I'm the last of those. So I got to see it you know, from, from the tail end of it. But when I talk to my eldest cousin, she tells me about like, you know, things that happened way before. So like we have home, I have home movies uh, before I was born and when I was born. So during that time period, my great grandfather, my grandfather are in the, are in those uh, videos. And so it's very interesting to see like, to, you know, like I never met my great, my grandfather, my great grandfather or my grandfather. So seeing them on video, for the first time was just was just like, oh, this is the person everybody talked about. And this is their personality. But I don't I never met them. So I don't know their personality. But again, going back to um, the, 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 the film, this was where the, you, you have no idea what the director said to them in those scenes. You no idea what they did in rehearsal. You have no idea what they did in discovery of their characters. All of that is so probably lost to time because I think Cher and Anita Gillette are the only two that are left that are alive from that entire cast. Yeah, uh, Nick, Cage. Uh, Nick, Nick Cage, sorry. Nick Cage, Cher, and Anita Gillette. Those three, I think, are the only three. And Vincent's gone. Olympia's gone. Jason Robart's gone. So they're, you know, so it's like, unless we have a conversation with those three people, like I'm, I'm praying I get some alone time with Anita when I mm -hmm. see her. I'm, I, she's, she's such a lovely person. Stupid, funny story. We both got COVID from the same person at that show. So we have the connection. We were sitting together at a table. We were talking briefly and, and somehow the piano player got COVID, but he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't symptomatic. So we were all talking to the piano player. We're all sitting around the piano. Boom. Next day. By the way, piano players got COVID, and then two, you know, it's like me, Anita, and the other five performers. Everybody down with COVID. Uh, so it was, it was, you know, it happened. But I really want to talk to her now because the more I see this movie, the more she would have more insight as to, you know, its creation, or even like the scene with her and in, in in Vincent in the restaurant, like. What did the director say? Did he, you know, are you, you know, and when you were creating this character, what did the direct, like, did the director give you anything or did you just come to table with Mona, you know? So anyway, keep going. Yeah, I, I, like, I wanna... was it, I, I'm very curious on like how much, cause I'm sure, and for people that aren't in this industry, but like sometimes when you get a self tape, even sometimes you get the director going, here's some information about the character. And sometimes you get a self tape and they're like, here's two pages with words on it. You're playing this. Uh, and that's it. Like yeah. you don't get any information other than here are two pages with some words on it. 
Like, you have to figure out what's happening in the scene. You have to figure out where you are. You have to figure out everything. So I'm very curious on, like, how much was her input and how much did the director help them? Because each director works differently. This was what I was saying, like, when I watched it again last night. Again, fast-forwarding to the end. I won't give it away. Okay. But when you get to the finale scene... I want you to pay attention to their fa- everyone's facial expressions because cool. they are all speaking volumes without saying a word. And it's really brilliant acting, Ooh. you know, because it, it, it's not, it's very subtle and I never noticed it until last night. It was just very, very, but like going back to this scene, like yeah. it goes back in the same breath, Italian men, I mean, I do it myself, but I'm just not, I'm just too much of a pushover when it comes to stuff like that. I'm very much like Johnny, um, but I'm very much like, if I want to end a conversation, I will usually let it play out and, but, you mm. know, and, and see what happens. I will not shut a conversation down unless I absolutely have to. And it's, it's just part of me. But, you know, when my parents did not want to talk about something, that the garage door came down no nobody spoke about it it wasn't it just wasn't done and especially my mother my mother was brilliant at shutting down conversation and you 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 grow up with that and it does affect you later in life but i found that studying studying acting was more therapy than actually going to a therapist because you got into the mind of another person and it's why i miss i miss acting so much i mean i it's like one of the things that I, I enjoy about being a stand-up comic is I have an interaction with the audience. There's no fourth wall. I can go up to people. I can talk to them. I can pick on them. You know, I had a heckler the other night in one of my shows, and I was, and and she was she was just being a jerk. And we were, but we had this funny banter, and I just, and and it finally came down to I looked at her. I was like, yeah, I used to make my own clothes too, and then I went on to the next thing. <laughs> but it was like, but but that I missed the reaction to what you're saying or doing yeah laughter laughter is so addictive as a performer so doing stand-up is really like that's my that's my that's feeds my soul when it comes to being creative um but i miss being able to get into a character and tell a story and let the story let the laughter come from the natural behavior in the story so, you know, like just talking about this reminds me of, you know, the times of being on stage and being able to affect what's going on in the scene or being, you know, like, but saying the words the playwright had given you and yeah. not, not having, like having that fourth wall. So you would get that, you would get that reaction from the story, not picking on somebody in the front row. You know what I mean? But still, it's like, that that I do miss that, and I loved I lo- really love chatting with you about this because it really brings out all of those all of those things that I did in my early career in acting and training and stuff like that. And that's why I say you don't know what their process is. You don't know if they went to if they went to Stella Adler or if they were Stanislavski's train trained. You know, I learned so many different methods from from you know coming to New York City being in theater school, being in theater school in Pennsylvania, coming and actually just working as an actor. So seeing these little nuances and stuff like that, like I can only like circle back to, well, what's in the text and the, how much of that did the actor bring to the table? And then how much of that did the director actually manipulate to tell the story? 
Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So, the next scene. Rose comes in and Cosmo's asleep. Rose sees the moon from her window. It's, it's an extremely bright moon. And, like, I've seen, like, what is it called? Like, the super moon? The... Yeah. It's not the it's super moon? There's a super moon. There's a harvest moon. I, it's the last... I forget the name of it, but it's the last bright moon of the season. Yeah, it's not the red one. No. But it's just a bright moon. And I've seen that, and I've experienced it quite a few times. But, I don't know. This time, it just felt unnaturally bright coming through that window. But, you know what? Movie magic. It's... it's of course. It's but very bright it goes, today. It goes right back to that... <laughs> You get right back to that monologue about Cosmo bringing the moon to... Straight back. Yeah, it, it just references back to that. And you're like, uh-oh, so what happened? You know? Yeah. So. so right before we get to that lovely monologue, we get Ronnie calling it perfect. And Loretta, who's also looking at the moon, goes, I haven't seen one like this for a while. Ronnie says it makes her look like an angel and that the moon looks like a large snowball. Yeah. Fair enough. I like Ronnie. He's silly. <laughs> so Raymond wakes up and tells Rita to look at the moon as well. <laughs> Rita's just unimpressed. Rita's just like, I just want to go to bed, Raymond. Leave me alone. Like, why are you waking me up in the middle of the night? I was having a nice dream about ice cream. Like, <laughs> why? <laughs> Apparently, this is Cosmo's moon. It's the moon that Raymond was talking about at dinner. What wonderful timing. <laughs> exactly. I did laugh at this, where he looked out the window and Rita's like, what are you looking for? I'm looking for Cosmo. Why would he be down there? <laughs> <laughs> I love this couple. I'm here for this couple. I love that they have a healthy, strong relationship, it seems like. Like, Raymond yeah. and Rita are just, like, everyone's favorite aunt and uncle. Like, they're just there. Right. They're happy. They're just like, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Rita says that with the light, the... And that expression, you look about 25, Raymond. And I just wrote, happy times, happy times. <laughs> happy. Move on. <laughs> Old people sex. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. So, um, we see the old man. He's walking with this dog somewhere on the pier. And he's saying a bunch of stuff in Italian to the Guardale la bella luna. Oh, look at the beautiful moon. Great. <laughs> My question was, ask Bobby if he knows what this means. Guardale la bella luna. Look at the beautiful moon. Oh, get the dogs to howl. He gets the, the dogs to howl. And I just love that the old man is just pure full of joy and happiness and is enjoying himself. Mm. I'm here for it. I like that. It's, it's a good I time. hope that when I'm in that age that I can be that romantic. It's, you know, With five dogs? With five dogs. Okay. Yeah. Sure. All Ten. different breeds or like the same type of dog? Because like we just need to know if you're the same old man from this or are you going to be your own old man? Oh, no. I would, dogs. I, would definitely have five, I would definitely have five to ten little dogs. It would be pugs. It would be French bulldogs. It would be chihuahuas. You know, it would be every little breed ever. Uh, toss in a corgi. I like, I like oh, the little. Oh, uh, yes. I have the best <laughs> corgi. My neighbor, we share a backyard and there's a corgi named Leo. And every morning when I go to check my garden, Leo is out for his morning poop. And so he comes to the gate and he just barks until I walk over and pet him and then he goes away. But yeah, I love my corgis. So. Yeah, no, corgis are adorable. Dogs. I don't have any animals. My landlord uh, won't allow us. So 
but hey you know when i'm that age i should be as romantic as raymond and i should be lucky to have that many dogs as the the old man i don't think the old man man actually has a name no which upsets me because i'm like he's part of the family like he's just old man which is why i also refrain from calling him grandpa because everyone just calls him old man old man i'm like i'm assuming he's the grandfather well, uh, I'm not um, sure. What's his name? Uh, oh, you know, it's later in the it's later in the uh, later in the film, but uh, it's not his name. But somebody calls him Pop. So. Oh, okay, okay. Well, he did say that he was Cosmo's dad. Yeah. So like, so Cosmo calls I, him Pop later. Yeah, I, I figured he's Cosmo's dad, but like everyone just calls him old man. Which yeah. is that a normal thing? Because like at least I called my in, dad Pop. My dad okay. was Pop. Was not what dad. would you have called your grandfather? I don't know. I never had one. <laughs> so Fair. my grandmother was Nona for a while, and then and, and Nona or Nana, the, 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 because we okay. were like I said, I had a speech a, a speech issue when I was very young. Um, Nona or Nana, so he probably would have been Pop Up. Okay. You know, so that, that that that's what we referred to him as when I was growing up, but I never met him. I didn't know him. You right. know, so there's an essence, like I said. The the creation of that, like in my head, the creation of who those people were is very different than, you know, like the people that I grew up with, you know, the way that they described these, you know, these two men, my great grandfather and my grandfather were both, you know, my my grandfather was practically a saint in most people's eyes. And then my great grandfather was practically a devil in other people's eyes. So it's like I never quite got those that were, you know, I never, I never knew them. So I only heard the stories so I can only form what that opinion was. So, yeah, I guess my question a bit more is like, so in my culture, in Indian culture, uh, we have specific names that we almost always call our grandparents. Mm -hmm. Is there anything like that in Italian culture or like Nana and Nono? Okay. And, um, but in American culture, it's Nana and Papa. Okay. You know, and but that also could be regional, because sure. it could be a Pennsylvania thing. But it 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 was it was something that I learned as a child, so I never knew the origin of it. But you know, it could be regional, but it could. But you know, Americanized Nana from Nona and uh, Nono is for Grandpa, but Papap was the 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 actual um, or Grandpa. You know, people call, you know the people that knew. My grandfather always called him Pop Pop, so whatever. Okay, so but yeah, it's that not like there's a set. Thing. No, no. Okay. I mean, but again, if it's Sicilian, if it's Italian, Nona and Nono. Um, if they're very, if they're very Italian, and that's just the way that they, you know, you learn from your younger age. My family's Americanized, so you know, there's a little bit of a Jersey, a Jersey City kind of Italian in there. Um, you know, it's not quite snooky. But we're close, you know. <laughs> you know, so, so so there's you know, but there there's that. A friend of mine pointed out the way that a the way that a person an Italian from Jersey talks about an Italian person from Jersey says the word gravy for sauce, and my grandmother, even though she was she was uh, uh, she used to live in Jersey, she's like no, sauces are red. And gravy, she's a brown. <laughs> so, so, you know that 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 was 
it just depends on your, it depends on a regionalism and a cultural, but for the most part, Nona and Nono is old country. Okay. Interesting. And this well, family the last is thing... Americanized. So, the, you know, in the story, the family's Americanized. So, right. you know, there's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just curious on cultures at that point. So the last thing that I wanted to say just before we end the episode is you also get a beautiful shot of the New York skyline before the towers fell, because this is back in the 80s. Yes. And I just wanted to remind people it was a beautiful skyline. Yeah. It just It was, it it, was a very was beautiful incredible. shot. And you get, the thing that you also get in, um, in the film is, is uh, you get scenes from all over New York City at that time. So you don't really, you get, you, you see like Lincoln Center, you see, you know, like when. Which we'll get to that because I have an issue with that in a bit. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. That'll be our, that'll be our next episode. Yes. Be sure to join back in next week to figure out why I'm annoyed at Lincoln Center. Um, (laughs) That's going to be the end of this episode. Bobby, thank you so much for joining once again. This has been a pleasure. We've gone on every single tangent possible, but I'm here for it. And this was so much fun. If people want to find you on the internet, find you doing different things, how can they do that? can always find me at Bobby Hedgeland Taylor or at Escape to Ravioli Mountain on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And, uh, no, I'm not on Twitter. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, and... Uh, um, TikTok. TikTok, yes. Also, I started a new TikTok account called The Urban Gardener because some friends were like, we want more gardening content. And I'm like, okay, but... Uh, you know, I uh, so I put it into a separate thing, and that's been really fun. Nice. being creating being creating a garden. But I did want to say this one last thing before we get to the next scene. There's that whole scene, the the whole thing with the moon. Is it it's it, it all goes back to that first monologue about the moon, but pay attention to the moon when you see it again. Okay, Just it out there. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. I figured the moon <laughs> is going to play a big role because it's kind of in the title and it doesn't yeah. have any lines. So I, yeah. I, I, mean, I don't know. The moon might start talking and it might be some psychological trip that we go no, on. But no, it doesn't no, feel like that kind of film. No. So <laughs> no, no, it's very it's, it's just it's just the way that it's crafted and the way that they have in the, the way that they've incre- incredibly tied it all together and how the moon actually is the moon sets off so many of the adventures that go on in the film and that's why i think it's just i just think it's the, the the subtlety in the creation is brilliant yeah and we're definitely way, heading towards those uh there we go there's that beautiful skyline so that is and and um Let's see. There it is. And that—that is me. Oh wow! And I think that—that's back of my head and my brother. That is 1970, I think. Fair. Going to the Statue of Liberty. Nice. Anyway. Anyway, on that note, thank you so much for joining, listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, we'll catch y'all later. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Post Finale. Post Finale is created, hosted, and produced by me, Ankit Madeira. Our editor is Pranav Nair. The music is by Ankit Madeira and Megan Hutchison. And the art is by Jared Rother. 
If you would like to gain access to bonus content and help support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash postfinale and signing up for any of the tiers. Any of the money that is made from Patreon goes directly back into this show to help make it a better show and a better listening experience for you, the listeners. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, it's greatly appreciated. Word of mouth is the most helpful way to grow the show. If you like the show, reach out to a friend and be like, hey, you love movies? Check out this new podcast where an actor goes through and gives his first-time thoughts. It's fun, he's silly, and it's an all-around good time most of the time. And boy, do they go on many different tangents, but it's fun and goofy and all things in between. And you get to see the confusion happening as it happens in real time. Be sure to check it out. It's the best way to really get the podcast out there to people and be sure to follow us on social media at post finale pod instagram facebook and twitter things happening there all the time as well and thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of post finale be sure to tune in next week and until then i'll catch y'all later